two missing girls. I haven't seen my daughter in, in over a month. I don't know what happened to her. A decade of mystery. Ten years ago today, Kara Kopetsky disappeared. Security video shows her walking out of her Belton High School, and no one has seen her since. One thing in common. Kara's ex-boyfriend, Kyler Yust. Kyler Yust in the custody in Edwards, Missouri. Kyler Yust. It's Kyler Yust. Kyler Yust. And the murder trial that could end it all. I don't know anything about where she is or about what happened. I wish I did. Journey for Justice, the trial of Kyler Eust. Kyler, where's Jessica? I have no idea, sir. A limited series on 41 Files by 41 Action News. Welcome to our first episode in a limited series here on 41 Files by 41 Action News, where we will be going over the case of Kyler Eust, who is an accused double murderer headed to trial. Hopefully this year, it's been delayed a few times, but... We want to keep you up to date on everything going on. So I'm Caitlin Brown, and I am a digital producer at 41 Action News. And I'm Haley Godburn. I am also a digital producer at 41 Action News. Um, You will see our work on our website, kshv.com, on a daily basis. Um, And we also reach you on any social media platforms you might be on. And now we're also podcasting. Yeah, so we are really excited to bring you this podcast. We wanted to do this because this is a really big case in our area, and it's important that local news, you know, we're the stakeholders here. We are on the ground covering these cases, so we want to give you the nitty-gritty details and just bring you another way to consume some local news. Um, The trial is coming up this year. It's been delayed a few times thanks to coronavirus and legal stuff, so um, it's very exciting that it's finally happening. And, you know, it's, it's a big case here in Kansas city and has affected a lot of people. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, a lot of that excitement surrounds the fact that these families might finally get closure. Um, so we'll kind of go over him and his victims as well as the case timeline. And, um, once the trial actually starts, you can expect to hear case updates here as well. I just want to mention, we are going to go over several of the in-depth details on this case. Um, and if you want to follow along, you can go to kshb.com slash trial and click on the case details page. And all of this information is there as well. So we're going to start in 2007 and it may not seem that long ago, but we want to just give you a feel for what it was like. Um, Haley and I were both very young. We were in middle school, um, Mm -hmm. but 12, 12 years old. Yes. So George W. Bush was the current president in 2007 was the year the first iPhone was released. And how many versions have we had since then? I don't even know how many we're up to, honestly. I'm still on iPhone 8. I've always been a little bit behind the times, but, you know, still it's better than first generation, right? (laughs) Right. Um, So also in 2007, Barack Obama had just declared his candidacy for the presidency. The Departed won Best Picture uh, at the Oscars, which were hosted by Ellen. Um, I've not seen that movie, so sorry for any fans out there. Um, and 2007 was also the year the tragic Virginia Tech massacre happened. Right. And so, and then in the world of politics, um, it was the year that the articles of impeachment against Vice President Dick Cheney were introduced. And it was also the year the first gay rights bill headed to the House floor. So lots has changed since then. And, you know, I remember back to 
bliss, blissful middle school life, had no idea what was going on, but um, a lot of people in the area do remember the case really well. And, you know, we, we both heard of it growing up here as young women. I think it really affected how um, our parents raised us and how cautious they taught us to be. Yeah. Um, I was actually talking to my mom about this case, knowing that we are going to be recording. And I just kind of asked her, you know, like, what was it like as a parent to young girls at that time, um, just hearing about this case and kind of did you make changes to your parenting because of it? Um, you know, I was only 12, but I have older sisters who were in their early twenties at the time. So it was pretty scary for them. Um, and so she talked about how she and my dad just took some extra steps to make sure that we were safe. Things like making sure our gas tanks were full and they got us AAA memberships so that we were never stranded on the side of the road. Um, they also made sure that we had cell phones so we could stay connected with them and they set curfews for us. Um, and I think that applied more to me as a 12 year old than them as 20 year olds, but, um, just some conscious steps that they took, um, towards our safety after this case. Right. I mean, a lot of people know Kansas city has a high homicide rate, but Haley and I grew up in suburban Kansas city, um, a little bit North of Kansas city. And this happened in another suburb of Kansas city. These two girls went missing in this case. And, um, it's just not normal for girls to go missing out of the suburbs. So I think that's why there was like a heightened sense of awareness and a heightened interest in the case. And so just to give you a little perspective, this happened in Belton, Missouri, which is about 20 miles south of Kansas City on the Missouri side. Um, Belton has around 23,000 people living in it. The biggest employer at in Belton is the school district and then the local grocery store, Hy-Vee. The median household income is about 45,000 and then it's a 90% white suburb. Yeah. So Caitlin, like you said, that's pretty similar to the places that we grew up. And, you know, we talk about the Kansas city area and that includes several, several big suburbs um, and small suburbs like this one. And I think just because of those similarities um, between Belton and Platte city, Liberty, um, really any Kansas city suburb, that's why it hit home for so many people. The first girl that went missing, her name was Kara Kapetsky, and she was 17 at the time. She attended Belton High School. She had an after-school job at the local Popeye's Chicken. She lived with her mom and her stepdad, Rhonda and Jim Beckford, and she had an on-and-off boyfriend named Kyler Eves. So, you know, your average teenager going to high school, having an after-school job. Yeah. Um, and so the last time Kara had communication with her mother was on May 4th. Um, she called her mom and said, Hey, I forgot one of my textbooks at home. Can you drop it off at school? Um, Kara's mom agreed to do that for her, but she didn't actually see Kara when she was there. Um, and then a little later on in the morning at 9.19 a.m., Kara is seen on surveillance video leaving her high school. And that's actually the last time that she is seen alive. Right. No one knows why Kara left the building that early. Obviously, it was the middle of the school day, but she did have a friend who is identified as AC in court documents that went to the Belton police 5.17 p.m. that same night, May 4th, and said that they had not seen Kara for two days, which doesn't match up with what the Beckford said because they said they saw Kara that morning leaving for school. And so that's like a weird case discrepancy, but she's on surveillance video. So she was clearly seen that day at school. Um, so that night she was officially listed as a missing person. And then, you know, in the coming days, as people were starting to look for Kara, she 
never showed up to pick up her paycheck on May 9th from the Popeyes. And then finally, about a month later on June 1st, the police went to the school and searched her locker. They found her debit card. There was no activity on it. If a teenager was away, you'd think they'd want to use their debit card. Right. So I think the question then was like, why did the police wait a month to check her locker if she was missing? You think teenagers keep a lot in their locker. Maybe there'd be a clue. Yeah. I mean, you look at those dates. June 1st is when they searched her locker and May 4th is when she went missing. Like just as somebody who doesn't work in law enforcement, um, but has listened to a lot of true crime podcasts, um, it seems like a long time. And it seems like her locker would maybe be a place that obvious evidence would be um, things like her debit card, which hadn't been used. So it just kind of raises the question of like, where was the investigation at that point um, that they took so long? to look there right and you know she asked her mom to bring her a textbook it sounded like she didn't plan on missing school or going anywhere so it's just a weird question right um so this is where we kind of want to bring kyler used to more into the picture we mentioned him earlier um he he was Kara's on again and off again boyfriend their relationship was very hot and cold and her parents knew that about about that relationship um, and Kyler has a really complicated past that we'll talk more about in later episodes. Um, but for now, suffice it to say that their past as a couple was pretty rocky. So things kind of uh, start on April 28th when Kara says she was kidnapped by Ky- Kyler, who was 18 at that time. Um, Kara tells police that Kyler took her from Popeye's where she worked because she didn't want to hang out with him. Um, she said he drove her around and eventually let her out in Grandview, which is another Kansas city suburb. Um, and they weren't actually even dating at this time. Uh, Cara tells police that, um, they had broken up. And so that leads her to file an order of protection against Kyler on April 30th in Cass County. Um, he has served those documents on May 1st. And if you remember, she goes missing on May 4th. So there is a little bit of speculation. Is this order of protection motive for her disappearance? So obviously, cops are going to pursue that line of questioning. So on May 6th, two days after Kara goes missing, they talk to Kyler. And he tells police that he last saw her the afternoon of May 3rd, so the day before she went missing. He also told them he missed a call from Kara around 11 a.m. on May 4th, but that when he tried to call her back, she didn't answer. But... Kara's phone records dispute that. Her phone records show that she called Kyler at 9.13 a.m. on May 4th, and she was last seen on camera leaving the building at 9.19. It also shows that he called her back at 9.20. So this is, like, exactly the time she went missing. This is a little suspicious, and also the 11 a.m. call that he says he had from her, that wasn't in the phone record. So his story's not matching up with what, fact shows. Yeah. So just those discrepancies in the timeline um, that he's given police kind of prompt them to interview him again about a month and a half later on July 23rd. Um, And this time he does tell police that they were arguing the night before Cara disappeared. Um, And that argument was because she had a male friend coming to town who was identified as J.H. in court documents. J.H. told police that he was supposed to meet Cara that weekend after she went missing, uh, but he wasn't able to reach her on May 6th when he tried. Uh, And he actually didn't know she was even missing until May 7th when he called her house. So this friend who is supposed to know where Kara is doesn't, and her family doesn't, and it seems no one else does. So now the family starts searching for Kara. 
So 41 Action News was covering this back in 2007. And we, of course, talked to her family. So you're going to hear what her first her mom and then her dad and her stepdad had to say about her disappearance at the time. If this was planned, she would have taken clothes and she didn't. And if, you know, if she had to buy clothes, she would have had to use her debit card and she didn't. I do believe she was abducted. I believe she's held against her will somewhere. I don't believe she's a runaway. It's just uh, who did it. If there's somebody out there with a dollar figure, you know, name your price. I mean, you know, we can't put a value on it. You know, we need the FBI's help. We need America's most wanted help. Not long after Kara went missing, a second girl went missing. On June 2nd, 2007, an 18-year-old named Kelsey Smith disappeared from an Overland Park target. Now people were like, oh, you know, this is now two missing girls around the same age. The Overland Park is on the other side of the state line, but still south of Kansas City. But surveillance video showed a man following Kelsey around the store and then using cell phone pings. Her body was found four days later near a lake. They figured out that this man who abducted Kelsey did not abduct Kara. And so people wanted to escalate this to the state level. They were asking the governor to get involved because now there have been two missing girls and they only had one suspect. And it was even, you know, a guy from New Jersey was creating a petition online to get more people involved in Kara's disappearance. Yeah. And so you mentioned um, after Kelsey Smith went missing and eventually her body was found like that case um, got national attention and statewide attention with the governor. Um, and locally, it brought a lot of attention back to Kara's case because, you know, everybody here is thinking, OK, well, two girls have gone missing. We have Kelsey now. And there's some closure for her family, thankfully, but where is Kara? We still don't know where Kara is. Um, so that just helped bring uh, more awareness to Kara's case. And then kind of getting more into some witness statements here. Um, on April 26, 2010, a witness identified uh, by the initials NY was interviewed by police. Um, this person was roommates with Kyler in 2007, and they played in a band together. Um, and he told police that he had confided in Kyler about some relationship problems he was having. Um, and Kyler told him not to get attached to girls. And he talked about Kara and how he was angry with her because she wouldn't love him. And um, so he ended up telling this witness that he had snapped and something bad had happened to Kara. Right. So the weird testimonies keep popping up. In January of 2011, on the 22nd, a witness identified as KF calls the police. This is a girl. And she said that Kyler told her he choked Kara to death and placed her in the woods. And then again, on February 4th of that year, she called the police and said that Kyler came over to her house and confessed to choking Kara and described watching her breathe her last breath. Yeah, something that is interesting to me here between these two witness statements, um, they're less than a year apart, but you can kind of see how Kyler is getting bolder with what he's willing to say about what happened to Kara. You know, the first witness statement there just was very vague, said he had snapped and something bad had happened. But with this woman, he's describing it in more detail and telling her explicitly he choked Kara and watched her breathe her last breath. So um, just kind of shows that progression in his thinking, I think. Right. And I think, you know, come trial time, I think uh, prosecutors will 
rely heavily on some of this witness testimony. And so, and it keeps growing too. He doesn't stop there. In August on the 19th of that same year, police interview a witness with the initial CM. And this is identified as a previous girlfriend of Kyler's and her and Kyler lived with their friend identified as AC. So this girlfriend said that Kyler was violent and that one time he choked her and boasted about killing past girlfriends. And then he told her that he would not hesitate to do the same to her. And so one of our reporters back in 2011 covered this case and um, Kyler pleaded guilty to choking this girl. Um, She's identified as a pregnant girlfriend in our reporting. And we can just assume this is the same person because the story matches up with the timeline in the court documents. And, but, you know, we can't guarantee it's the same until we get to trial, but this girl is six months pregnant and he choked her unconscious. And she also said that he killed three kittens in front of her. Yeah. So in this, um, in this case, we have a few more details about what happened just because he um, was convicted in it. Um, and so we know that this victim was an 18 year old woman from Lee's summit. Um, and the attack she says happened on July 22nd or 23rd in 2011. She um, says that Kyler choked her, pulled her hair, hit her, and threatened her. Um, Again, like you said, Caitlin, he told her that he'd killed people before, even ex-girlfriends, out of sheer jealousy. And he said he would kill her, too. Um, And he just, like, would say these gruesome things to her. Um, Like, he knew where there were pigs that would eat anything, including bones. He'd seen arms ripped off of people while they were still alive, and he'd seen people dropped into barrels of acid to destroy evidence. So just these really gruesome things that he's telling her as he's attacking her. Um, And he also told her if she screamed again, he would kill her. And um, I'll spare you you the details about the kittens, um, but... He killed them in front of her and told her that they didn't deserve to live. Three little kittens. And if you're any fan of true crime, like Haley and I are, you'll see in shows that they talk about animal um, murder being one of the first steps in psychopathic tendencies being displayed. And so I find this really interesting. I'm wondering if they'll bring this up in the trial, kind of his mental state. But he ends up pleading, taking a plea deal in this case, and he has to attend some batterer prevention classes, and he's not allowed to contact this girlfriend anymore. And it was bad enough that the judge was quoted as saying, as far as you're concerned, she doesn't exist anymore. Leave her alone. Next time you come down here, you're getting a broken arm. You're going to jail, son. So, Caitlin, that is a pretty strong statement from the judge there. And it makes me wonder why Kyler was only given two years probation in this case. Like, if the judge really felt that strongly, why wasn't he given jail time? I think it's just one of the many, many questions we have in this case. And, you know, I hope in the trial we get some answers to these because I think lots of people are just as curious as we are. And, you know, he wasn't behind bars. He had lots of people saying he was threatening girls and he was still out walking around getting, you know, having girlfriends and things. So this keeps going. And in June of 2012, a witness identified as SD contacts the police and says that in early 2012, Kyler discussed picking up Kara from school the day she went missing because she had argued with a teacher. And then Kyler told that witness that they argued about the relationship and he choked her 
and again, described her taking her last breath and placing her in the woods. Three years later, in September of 2015, um, Kyler is finally behind bars. He is at a correctional facility in Oklahoma on federal drug trafficking charges. Um, The police, again, asked him about that kind of disputed phone record timeline, uh, but he wouldn't comment on it. And um, he did give police a little more information. It seems like it's just kind of trickling every once in a while. He'll admit to one more thing and one more thing. So this time uh, in 2015, he told police that he did kidnap Kara on April 28th, like she had said he did. Um, remember, that's what prompted her protection order against him. He said that he did that because he didn't like her dating other men. And he did admit to getting a little physical in this argument with her and grabbed her by the arms. Right. So we get more information out of his stay at that correctional facility. So in March of the next year, a witness identified as JC is Kyler's cellmate at this Oklahoma prison. And he calls Belton police from prison and says, hey, after you interviewed Kyler, he asked me to get him an alibi. And then he said Kyler also admitted to strangling Kara and disposing of her body. So he's now telling his cellmate hey can you get me an alibi I did something bad and I think this is just even more escalation so another witness comes forward in 2016 they are identified by the initials AC Um, they tell police that three and a half years before this interview uh, Kyler came to them and told them that he had choked Kara and uh, put her body where no one would find it. Right. And so we think this AC is the one that Houston, the girl identified as CM, lived with. So it makes me wonder, why did they wait so long? You know, this is 2016. Why didn't they interview this person before? Because they obviously said Yust had talked to them three and a half years before this interview. So there were some questions throughout our 41 Action News reporting of family and stuff questioning Belton Police's process. You know, we're not law enforcement experts, but a lot of people in the community were questioning certain things. And this is one of those spots that I'm like, well, they could have asked this person earlier. You know, there are more witnesses still, and I'm sure we'll hear from all of them on the stand, but a witness identified as KR is a friend of use. And we don't know when this specific interview happened, but we do have the details. And so this witness tells police that Kara had called him on May 4th to ask if her and Kyler could hang out with him. And he had told her he was too busy, but that Kyler had come by his house around 12.30 p.m. to smoke a cigarette. And then this witness said that Kyler called him later on May 4th crying and said not to tell anyone he had been with Kara that day. He said it was because of the production order, but... KR tries to call Kara a bunch of times with no answer because that's, of course, when she went missing. So this is the seventh person to talk about Kyler telling them he had done something horrible to Kara or someone else. Yeah. And so it kind of raises the question here about like seven people. That's that's a lot of people saying this guy came to me and told me he did this thing. Um, And so it kind of makes you wonder why they had to wait so long for an arrest. Um, I know sometimes in cases like these, it's hard for police to make an arrest and for prosecutors to file charges without a lot of physical evidence. Um, And at this point, Kara's body still hasn't been found. They don't really have a lot to go on as far as that goes either, because all he's saying to these witnesses is that I put her body in the woods or I put it where no one will be able to find it. 
Right. And at this time, police can't technically confirm she's dead. It's been nearly a decade, but you know, there's a chance she could be out there. So I think they're going to have a hard time raising a murder charge against anyone when they have no evidence that Kara is actually dead. So now we're going to um, give you a little bit of sound from an interview that one of our reporters actually got from Kyler one day when he was leaving a courtroom. And I think it's a little chilling, so you can take a listen for yourself. said that I wasn't, that I was a suspect because of prior, because of prior happenings, not because of anything that would point to me having anything to do with her disappearing now. The search continues. We, um, basically that's what Captain Spears told me. He said we will continue to search and five plus months and we're still searching and I'm not ever giving up hope. I'm going to find out what happened to my daughter. And so the second uh, quote you heard there, that was Kara's mom, Rhonda. So a decade later, they're still searching for Kara. Kyler seems to be the main suspect. And that's just where we're going to leave off for this episode. Next time, we will talk about a girl named Jessica Runyons. She was another person who was involved with Kyler and then went missing. Um, So we'll talk a little bit about her case Um, Also want to remind you that was a lot of information and you can find it all written out on kshb.com slash use trial. Just go to the case details page and it is all there for you. Um, Again, I'm Haley Godburn. And I am Caitlin Brown. And we look forward to bringing you another episode of this limited series on the case of Kyler Eust.